1: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Tableau Software and Dole Food Company
2: Welcome to the Costa Report I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to extend a special welcome to members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the internet, and also listeners who are joining us on new affiliates in Washington, Florida, Maryland, North Carolina, and California. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, former Congressman from Michigan and Chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, Mr. Mike Rogers, will be joining us to talk about the top security issues facing the United States on both the domestic and foreign side and whether the government can prevent attacks without increasing surveillance. Stand by, because there is no better person to answer those questions than the man who chaired the House Intelligence Committee. And today, as promised, we're going straight to the source. But before Mr. Rogers joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Michael J. Rogers was born in Livingston County, Michigan. He graduated from Adrian College, where he studied criminal justice and sociology. Rogers served in the 7th Infantry Division of the United States Army between 1985 and 1989, after which he joined the FBI's Chicago office as a special agent. While at the FBI, his focus was on investigating organized crime and public corruption. Rogers was first elected to the Michigan State Senate in '94 where he easily won a second term owing to his landmark work in education, tax reform, and jobs creation. Then in 2000, he ran uh, for and was elected to the United States House of Representatives, where he subsequently served seven terms. Rogers quickly distinguished himself as a reasonable and practical leader who could rally support from both sides of the political aisle. As chairman of the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, he addressed the rise of the Islamic State— Putin's aggression in the Ukraine, the investigations into Benghazi and Edward Snowden, and cyber threats from China, North Korea, and other states. In a surprising turn of events, last year Rogers announced that he would not seek re election. He chose to leave government to host a nationally syndicated radio program aimed at informing and energizing the American public. And we'll hear more about his radio program later in today's broadcast. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report one of our country's foremost experts on national security, Mr. Mike Rogers. Welcome to the program, Mr. Rogers.
3: Rebecca, it is great to be here. Thanks for having
2: me. Now, just to get things started, you have faced some controversial issues while serving on the House Committee on Intelligence, from NSA surveillance to Benghazi to threats from Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Putin, uh, and I haven't even gotten to the <laughs> nuclear threat posed by North Korea and Iran, or even or cyber attacks uh, backed by the Chinese government. Uh, so let me start there. Of all of these security issues that you're aware of, which one keeps you up at night?
3: Well, they all uh, account for some amount of time not sleeping, I will tell you that. But the one that I think that, that I think America is not prepared to handle, we don't have our policy right, we're not ready for it, is, is cybersecurity. We, have, uh, we are really, Rebecca, in a cyber war, and most Americans just don't know it. The Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, now we have a whole host of international organized crime players uh, getting in on the game. All of them cost us economic prosperity, and some, through these destructive cyber attacks, really risk our national security.
2: So give us an example that you can talk about of a risk that uh, to our cybersecurity that the public might not be aware of, but, but is a good example to start with.
3: Sure. I, I think the easiest one, they've probably heard at least some rumblings about North Korea engaging in a cyber attack against a, a company uh, the Sony American company, which produced a movie that that uh, Kim Jong Un found apparently offensive. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about this, so, so the North Koreans are the least capable cyber actors uh, around the globe. So they, they, we, we suspect that they are engaged in trying to learn as much as they can about the value of cyber attacks on their adversaries. We didn't. We would not put them very capable. As a matter of fact, the team that actually attacked Sony had to leave the country in order to even establish a base because of capabilities to launch a cyber attack. So they went and on the open Internet put together, so think of this, no new code, put together a pretty aggressive attack so they didn't write any new lines of malicious uh, source code. They just gathered up what they found out in the open domain. They used, They took over the servers of a hotel of which they were located, used that hotel server, to attack this company, and they did a couple of things. One, everybody saw the embarrassing emails. They released those, um, and, and that was bad enough. They stole the intellectual property from the movie and released that to try to cause economic harm. Bad enough. But they also conducted destructive attacks, something called a wiper virus. It got into these servers and started eliminating data. So it erased data. And by the way, you're not getting it back. You're not rebooting it. You're not finding it somewhere else. That data is gone. And they did that into the financial billing systems and other things for Sony that were really highly destructive and dangerous. So for the first time, we saw publicly a nation state using cyber as a way to uh, exact some uh, political end for them, which was to harm economically this company, an American company, and it worked. Last year, we also saw, now it's public, back, back when I was chairman, it was still classified, that Iran used the same technique on an American company, uh, the Sands Resort Casino, in order to prove their point that they didn't like the CEO talking about the fact that they had, um, uh, that Iran should not get a nuclear weapon. And so it cost them, some estimates I see is between 40 and $60 million. And so these are nation states using nation state capability trying to conduct their political, uh, furthering their political uh, aims by using these destructive cyber attacks against American companies. And the sad part is, I think this is only going to get worse before it gets better.
2: So you think, uh, what are these? These attacks on these American companies are the alpha test, for the, warm, the warming up to go after bigger targets?
3: No, I think that uh, when you see the, the more capable nations in cyber, Russia, China,
2: mm-hmm.
4: there was a
3: public report uh, recently, about, well, recently, two years ago now, that highlighted that the Chinese had already, their cyber actors, the Chinese government, had already uh, gotten code into our electric grid. And you say, well, why were they doing that? Were they going to cause a destructive attack? Not likely, but they were. Called, you know, we would call it prepping the battlefield. If there was ever, if they decided to invade Taiwan, or they decided to be more aggressive in the South China Sea, or they attacked, uh, they thought a U.S. carrier group was too close and did something crazy and attacked them. They'd have the ability to flip that switch and turn out the lights. And so we, we see that, that I think those companies were just tools that they used to, to uh, exact their revenge. We know that nation states are already capable of really serious consequences. Uh, and this destructive data part of it is what worries me most.
2: Uh, you know, I, I think you make a good point that North Korea and Iran are not don't have the sophisticated tools that, say, Russia and China have. So it's very worrisome that they could get into a Sony or a SANS Casino, which actually have quite sophisticated firewalls and and uh, and and cybersecurity technologies. Being a casino and being Sony. Um, you, you know the, these guys were able. To, these I'm not going to say amateurs, but they they're far less sophisticated, and they were still able to get in and wreak havoc.
3: Yeah, that's that. That was what struck me on the Sony uh, excuse. me, yeah, the Sony case with North Korea, uh, because they did have cyber protection. They didn't write any new code. It wasn't very sophisticated in its attempt. Um, it was just good old fashioned cybersecurity tradecraft that they used to penetrate those systems and cause real financial harm. And so you think about, okay, well, now what if international organized crime gets this capability? We've got a bigger problem, and they are very good.
2: They absolutely. are better,
3: better, yeah, and uh, better than a lot of nation
2: states. Uh, absolutely, and and uh, many of these tools, it turns out that these hackers used, uh, were just purchased right off the internet. They they didn't require any development at all. Now we have to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to find out if our nation is divided on how important national security is. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report.
4: I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad Or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish.
2: Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. I don't know if you feel a little sluggish in the middle of the afternoon like I do, but if you do, I'm going to suggest you try Pollen Burst. It's an orange-flavored energy drink that comes in a packet, and it tastes a lot like that other orange drink the astronauts used to drink. You know the one. Pollen Burst contains vitamins A, B1, B3, B6, B12, pantothenic acid, vitamin D3, and gluconolactone all designed to give you an energy boost that can last for hours. Pollen Burst comes in a box of 30 packets for $56 or two boxes for $100, and you can order it right now at kscoteam.com. The next time you feel tired and need a little boost, skip the coffee, soda, or candy bar and mix up a cold glass of Pollen Burst and do your body some real good. Go to kscoteam.com.
5: Money can't make you happy, but the lack of it can sure add a lot of stress to your life. Need help with your personal finances? Listen Thursday nights at 7 p.m. to Money Moves. Host Pamela Fugit hedrick offers one hour of free tips and tools to help you manage your cash flows with her Money Moves. Each Thursday night, she discusses topics like how to prevent a complete personal financial meltdown, how to start a go-to fund for emergencies, provide ideas on how to cut back, rather than cutting out some of your expenses. How to erase your debt load and financial stressors. How to find funding for your retirement. How the heck do you enroll to use health insurance? No more excuses. Money Moves can answer these questions and so much more. Tune in Money Moves with your host, Pamela Fugit-Hedrick, Thursday night from 78 p.m. to work on your Money Moves.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Congressman from Michigan and Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Rogers. And before the break, you were making the point that of all the security issues we have on our plate, the one that concerns you the most is our lack of preparedness in the area of cyber attacks, uh, which were recently launched by unsophisticated actors from North Korea and Iran on Sony and the Sands Casino. Now. Uh, Mr. Rogers, you would think that national security would be at the top of the concerns of all of the American people, but uh, a Wall Street Journal NBC News poll that just came out shows that Republican primary voters see the top three issues facing the country as, number one, national security, number two, the deficit, and three, jobs creation slash economic growth in in that order. Uh, By contrast. Democratic primary voters named jobs creation number one, followed by health care and climate change, also, also in, in that order. Now, now, security was not even in the top three issues. Does that worry you?
3: Well, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's concerning that uh, I think most Americans can't get on the same page on what our threats are. None of the other programs that you're interested in work if we can't get the national security piece right. And we have some huge challenges. If you think of it, the national security challenges that, that are going to face the country in the next 18 months, let alone when the new president gets sworn in, and I don't care who that is, on January 21st, 2017, they are going to get slapped in the face with the, with the rest of the world's problems, And it's, it's going to be difficult for us. And if, if we don't deal with those issues in a timely way, they just get more complex and more difficult to solve.
2: I understand what you're saying, but we're, we're talking about Democratic primary voters who don't even have national security on the top three concerns. So, I mean, if we were just to do simple deduction, it says that the next presidential candidate uh, has got to stick to jobs creation and economic growth because that's the only th- overlap.
3: Well, and those are important. Don't get me wrong. I think we can do more than one issue. I think that you have to continue economic growth. The stagnant economy has cost our ability to spend in the kind of technologies we need to do to defend ourselves in a way that's more robust. Um, and so, yes, I think economic growth is critically important. And you want that strong, vibrant economy so that you can be that uh, you, uh, the uh, global leader in all things you know, freedom, all things economic and certainly all things national security. So I do believe that that is an important issue, and if that's the one we can all agree on to start with, great. I do believe you have to have this secondary mission of putting our national security framework back together where the rest of the world has some understanding about what U.S. policy is overseas, and that's going to take resources, it's going to take investment, it's going to take uh, determination. And so I do think we're going to have to make the effort to have a discussion uh, before the 2016 election on these national security threats. matter I, I have an organization to do just that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, well, let's talk about uh, our foreign policy. Hillary Clinton agreed to testify uh, before the House Select Committee on Big Benghazi one more time. So uh, let me ask you this. Is anything new likely to come out of her uh, testifying again? And if so, what do you think the committee's looking for this time around?
3: Well, one of the things, uh, and when I was chairman, I conducted the the intelligence side of the investigation on uh, what was going on in, in Libya and the intelligence community's role leading up to during and, and right after. And the big missing piece of getting the whole story was, I think, the State Department. And I imagine that that's where the committee's trying to focus. What was the State Department's role? Because we knew a couple of things coming out of that investigation. One that the the State Department people on the ground, so the the agents on the ground who who were responsible for the security of the facility, were asking for help. They were saying we're not equipped for this we're not ready we, we are not ready if something bad happens. We need more help. Somebody made the affirmative decision not to do that. That was never determined about what happened, how that happened, and I think this whole notion that uh the secretary was was by her own admission had government emails on a private server in her home raised all kinds of questions. Matter of fact, from operational protection and security uh, from uh, every facet of of breaking the rule that you can't use private servers to conduct government business. And I think that's probably where they're going to focus. How, who made the decision not to do this? Who made the decision to put at risk these people on the ground? Um, How did that decision happen? And the goal here. I think, and should be, how to make sure this doesn't happen again, and and find somebody and hold somebody accountable for those decisions. Many of the people in that chain of command at the State Department have gotten promoted since that event. Somebody had to do something wrong. They need to determine who
2: that is. Is that really true? Um, I mean, isn't there another explanation? Uh, There seems to be 23 minutes here that everybody's focused on. Now, as you know, there are CIA commandos who were guarding the Benghazi compound, and they came forward and they said that they were ordered to stand down. There's no evidence Your committee actually said that there was no evidence that they were ever ordered to stand down when Ambassador Stevens and and others were asking for help. But there seems to be some delay in which it appears that they were trying to fact find figure there was chaos was breaking out people were trying to figure out what the right thing to do is and it takes a little bit of time we we're, we're you know we're mere biological organisms it takes a while for our brains to process what to do in this particular case isn't there another explanation that simp- that we simply reacted too late too slowly
3: well, you have to remember, and this I think is important. Um, the, the, there was two two complexes on the ground in Libya. The the center where the the uh, consulate area, where it wasn't even called that, it's called a mission, uh, where the State Department was located. Yes. Then you had a separate facility that was people were calling the annex, is where the intelligence agency was located. Yes, they are very separate places with very separate missions. They are not responsible for protecting the. the agency was not responsible for protecting uh, the mission, and and vice versa. The mission was not responsible for protecting the, the uh, annex. And so, when now can the call I ask you? In,
2: can I ask you sure. something? Why not?
3: Well, because the missions are very very different. They have, that's why they have uh, Department of State uh, regional security officers and security agents mm-hmm. that are designed to protect their facility. Uh, and the mission of the agency is to collect intelligence, uh, and the security that was there was designed to protect the their annex and protect the uh, intelligence officials working out of that annex. That was their job and their responsibility. And that would be appropriate. now if this if the state Department had the right and appropriate security at the mission, this would have ended up very, very differently. I think that we would have not lost the lives of those individuals, mm-hmm. but they didn't. So what happened was they made an informal arrangement that, hey, if something hap- happens, you know, we'll try to come help you because there's, you guys aren't configured to, to fend it off. So when the flag went up and they got the phone call and said, we, we're, we're under attack here, that's when all that's when the clock started and so yes. uh, we went through and looked at all the video evidence and we had video evidence we had timestamp video we had digital phones, and and we can talk about this after the break. Yeah,
2: unfortunately I I apologize for this. You know, because you're on radio, I've got to go to a hard break here, and it's the most annoying thing when we get into a story like this. So, uh, let me go ahead and take that break, and when we come back let's pick it up right there on the call that happened between the uh, the embassy compound and the CIA annex uh, which started the clock rolling. You're listening to the Costa Report.
1: Have you checked out the Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog. Bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't.
0: Carpe Your Diem. PMG Physicians help you be a healthier you. Serving communities throughout Santa Cruz County. Physicians Medical Group's physicians are in a neighborhood near you. Find your Physicians Medical Group care provider at pmgscc.com and seize your day.
6: from the headlines. Here's another reminder about the importance of protecting our identities. Nine women have pleaded guilty to roles in an identity theft scheme in which over 7,000 false tax returns were filed for more than $20 million in refunds. One of the defendants worked at a military hospital and stole personal information from soldiers, many of whom were deployed to Afghanistan. Stories like this are precisely why you need LifeLock Ultimate Plus identity theft protection. Look, no one can stop all identity theft and nobody can monitor transactions at every business. But LifeLock Ultimate Plus gives you comprehensive identity theft protection. It goes beyond just notifying you of debit and credit card transactions, providing you protection for your identity, bank and retirement accounts, even the equity in your home. Visit LifeLock.com now and use promo code RUSH or call and mention RUSH to save 10% on your LifeLock Ultimate Plus membership. Call 800-440-4833. 800-440-4833. (laughs) 800-440-4833.
0: Pow! Zap! Kaboom! It's time for some superhero fun at the Human Race Walkathon Fun Run. Hello, I'm Kelly Mercer. Join me on Saturday, May 9th at 2300 Delaware Ave at 8 a.m. Grab your cape and walk, run, or wheel your way to support your chosen cause. Race day includes food, music, a costume contest, and a post-race obstacle course. Register today at humanracesc.org.
7: Yeah, it happened. And those people who marched and knew they were going to get beat up, they were fantastic. But they didn't talk about the telegram I sent and millions of other people. It was the white people who rose up and insisted that America be what it's supposed to be. They stood up for their black brothers and sisters. They hated what they saw. But they're trying to make like, oh, look what was done to the black people here. But they didn't tell about the glory of America. They didn't tell about the wonderful white people, the Christians and the Jews who were the backbone of the civil rights movement, who stood up. Stood up and yelled and carried on and marched with them and got beat up with them and even got murdered for them because they wanted America to be what it's supposed to be. That's the greatness of America, the spirit of America that's in the hearts of the American people, the love of freedom and decency and fairness that is what the American people are. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Remember America. Sundays, 10 till noon
2: welcome back to the costa report i'm rebecca costa and if you're just joining us my guest today is former congressman from michigan mike rogers and before the break we were talking about the events which transpired in benghazi so let's Pick up the timeline from the point at which the call came from the embassy to the CIA annex for help. And at this point, the CIA commandos at the annex, they need orders to go in. And and this took the base commander about 20, 23 minutes. Meanwhile, uh, the response from the State Department was also delayed.
3: Well, there really was no uh, response from the State Department. That They really didn't have anyone to come get them. That was part of the problem. But on the annex, what was happening is the commander of the security force there mm-hmm. was trying to find extra help. Now, remember, they didn't know if there were 500 people attacking the embassy compound or five people. They had no idea.
2: And they, they also getting- didn't know if the annex was going to be attacked.
3: Exactly. Well, and remember, these they're, they're, these folks were designed or, or there to protect the annex. They're taking some of their best uh, their best people and moving them downrange away from the annex. So, right. as a commander on the ground, it, it sounds easy. Well, after the event, but you had a lot to think about. Do I risk my annex and all the people here to send them downrange over to this other annex, which was about a mile, mile and a half, where I don't know what the I don't know what they'll face. Uh, I have no idea, as I said, well, I spent five guys into 500. This could be a bloodbath and a disaster. And then, of course, we're at risk here. So he was trying to find heavy weapons and he was trying to find uh, some friendly militia folks to go with them. Yes. And so this, this was, was interesting to me. And I know there was a lot of controversy in this. They were told to wait, but they were never told to stand down. They were said, wait until we can figure this out. They wanted to go right away. These guys were brave folks. They were heroes. To the bitter end, no one should take that away from them, but they were never told you can't go, and then they thwarted they the, the mission and said, we're going anyway. They mm-hmm. just had a commander on the ground who was trying to make the determination, and interestingly, uh, if there was a stand-down order, this never made sense to me. The guy who was in charge of making that decision actually went downrange with him. He got in the vehicle and drove with him to the, to the annex. Hardly the hardly the action of somebody who gave him a stand down order. So That's right. I think there was just a difference of opinion there. I I you know opinions can can happen. You can eat more Monday morning quarterback the decision of the leader in the CIA annex. At the end of the day, they did get there. They did save some lives. They did get attacked on the first run. They had to pull back and kind of go another way to get into the annex. Uh, and then, of course, the annex was uh, attacked itself later on, which. I think, bore out the fact that they needed to worry about their own people's security at that facility.
2: Well, you know, as you know, in the heat of battle... Uh, there's going to be a lot of interpretations of what happened. Just think about the eyewitness accounts of people that witness a, a burglary. You know, they, they give 14, you interview 14 people, they give 14 different accounts. You're going to get different accounts, but at the end of the day, it's what the evidence will support. And I think you're right, the fact that the base commander got in a vehicle and headed over to the embassy immediately uh, is evidence enough. Now, media pundits have a lot of opinions about Clinton upcoming testimony. Um, uh, some say that there's danger that this committee is going to look like they're bullying Mrs. Clinton uh, since she's been asked and answered lots of questions before. Uh, and others are really going so far as to suggest that this was orchestrated by uh, Clinton's camp to give her some platform to clear her name before 2016. Oh, What do you think? Is this going to help or hurt her, or it doesn't matter?
3: Well, I don't know. I, You know, I, I I hope they get to the truth. I don't think that if they use this for a political tool, unless I could have been uh, you know, used by investigation as a I refuse to do that. I don't, I think they should refuse to do it. If, you, if there is a problem here, and I do believe that there was a problem with the way the State Department handled it. Does it go all the way to the Secretary of State at the time, Hillary Clinton? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anyone really does. That's what the investigation should determine. Somebody made a decision. Uh, that led, ultimately led uh, to the deaths of four Americans. Somebody needs to be held accountable for that. Uh, and none of that investigation into the State Department happened. So I think it's a good start for the, invest- the investigators to get a chance to talk uh, to the former secretary to find out what the decision matrix was, how that happened, why, did they, why were they turned down, why did you have first-term uh, agents, security agents at that uh, compound, they had no experience before, uh, before going into the hotbed of what was Libya. And by the way, intelligence showed that it was bad and getting worse. So all of those questions, I think, are legitimate. Um, I hope it doesn't turn into some political dog-and-pony show. I do think she has to answer for why she had government material on her, on her home, a server that may or may not have been related to an ongoing investigation, and she is the sole arbiter of what she got to release. That never works in any investigation. as I don't know, I'm a former FBI agent. That never works in any investigation I've ever done. You yeah, can't I, have the burglar telling you, I, I'll tell you exactly how I got <laughs> in and I got
2: out. <laughs> you, want the, you want the burglar to produce the only evidence that's allowed in court? I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. It's a nice theory. It works for the yeah. burglar. Um, yeah, exactly so l- let's let's continue a little bit with uh, the subject of investigating and data collection uh, when when uh, Edward Snowden went public with his surveillance that the NSA was conducting y- you were very vocal about the fact that uh, individual conversations weren't being listened to you tried to straighten that out I'm not sure everybody got the message um, and that the data was being gathered uh, only on a, uh, a metadata level and what was essential to be able to preempt th- uh Uh, threats. Uh, Now that some time's passed, do you mind if I ask you, how do you feel about that NSA surveillance in in view of what's occurred in the past week?
3: Well, uh, again, I think the political narrative got ahead of it. I sure would like to have that year back. Um, (laughs) uh, And we we were on defense from day one. We had one hand tied behind our back because we had to keep certain classified aspects of the program classified. And my theory was this. I supported this program when it was classified. Uh, when it was illegally leaked, it certainly wasn't going to change my opinion. The problem was, and and the, the media got this just so completely wrong, they made it sound like phone calls were being recorded yeah. and kept by the government yeah, and that they could listen to them anytime they wanted. Not true. Wasn't happening. They made it sound like your emails were being collected and they could go back and read these emails anytime they wanted. Not true. Wasn't happening and it really was and the best way it was described to me and I I've, I've used this often is basically it was what's on the front of an envelope that you stick and you know you hand to the postman who is a government official to get to the place that it's going the to from that's really what they were trying to collect so that they could determine was a terrorist from according to last week Syria calling into Texas to give the okay or recruit or give instructions to somebody to go conduct a terrorist attack in America Without that kind of information, very, you, you'll, you'll not be able to detect that. You'll have no opportunity to detect it. And once it's gone, it's gone. That's what people, I don't think, realize. So that was, it it's still to me is frustrating. We have to have some mechanism. If we don't trust that the government, at the NSA, should have the two from on those calls in a place that was locked down, then we have to find a way to have it. If you're going to find the needle in the haystack, you have to have the haystack. And that was really what that was. So there's a, all kinds of civil liberties protections built in. None of that got reported in the press. And it's unfortunate. I think they got clobbered for something that they were following the law, doing it correctly. It was overseen. Judges had uh, authorized it. It had been overseen by Congress. Uh, and everyone made it sound like they found some some horrible, sneaky thing that nobody knew about. simply wasn't the case. But you have to report. admit
2: you and I actually would not be having this conversation had Edward Snowden not come forward and made the issue public. Now, I agree happen to agree with you 1000% the the media's handling of this was was nothing short of creating a mass hysteria and shame on the media uh, for handling it the way they did. They just whipped up people's emotions and made everybody paranoid to the point where people stopped listening. They, they didn't believe anything that they were being told. Uh, but I, when we come back from break, I want to ask you, what do you think should happen to Edward Snowden right now? Because I think as more and more time goes by, uh, I think more of the American people are grateful to at least have the conversation now. It may not have been handled right at the at the onset, but, uh, but at the very least, it opened the door for us to have a national dialogue on it. Now, we have to take our final break. We'll be right back after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning your heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at tableau.com slash costa. That's tableau.com slash costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Sellers, And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli, who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business?
6: Um, you know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard. And planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation, us being in agriculture in the Salinas Valley, and then the extension of that went to grapes, and here we are today. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough.
8: Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Are you feeling angry or irritable, or maybe you're just depressed? Well, it may be that you're suffering from black bile. At least that's what ancient doctors used to think. These days, while no one thinks depression is about black bile, unfortunately, we may have gone too far in the opposite direction by minimizing the significance of bile, which functions as a kind of digestive detergent, dissolving and freeing fats and fatty nutrients from foods. If you're one of the millions of Americans who's suffering from liver impairment, or if you've had a gallbladder removed, your bile detergent system may not be operating at peak efficiency. And because toxins are eliminated from the body via bile, in addition to helping process fats, it also supports detoxification, you may not be eliminating poisons from the body effectively either. A good probiotic supplement can help support the bile's detox role by encouraging bile's elimination from the body, and if you're interested in helping improve bile production, there are nutritional supplements that help there too. One of the easiest is to use supplemental bile salts. You can get them on their own, and many digestive enzyme supplements contain them too. You can also help your body build bile by using precursors, which act as raw materials for bile production. The amino acids taurine and glycine help the body build bile. You might want to throw in 500 milligrams of the B vitamin-like compound choline, which acts as a building block and vitamin C can help you make generous amounts of healthy bile, so making sure you're getting at least a gram or two a day is probably a good idea as well. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com Health.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at KSCOHealth.com. That's KSCOHealth.com.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Mike Rogers. And just before we went to break, uh, I wanted to ask you about what you think should happen with Edward Snowden.
3: Well, I would prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law. He stole something that didn't belong to him. And by the way, he just uh, admitted recently that he hadn't even read the vast majority of the material that he gave away. So he stole classified information, said he was offended by it, hadn't read it. And in the process of doing that, there are certain force protection activities that uh, was impacted, meaning activities that we use to protect our soldiers who are fighting in places like Afghanistan. And to have that information uh, and and see that the their adversaries, our enemies, made changes in the way they operated based on the information of which he disclosed, I don't know how anyone could come to the conclusion he's not a traitor. That's not worth one life of one soldier uh, for his misguided notion that he was uh, doing something. By the way, he's, he's he tells these stories living in Moscow, one of the most restricted Internet countries in the world. Uh, it's the, the whole thing just doesn't make sense to me. I, I hope Americans kind of reconnect with what he actually did to us uh, and the people that we asked to defend us in very bad places. Uh, and again, he should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law.
2: Well, I think if there's sympathy for him, it's for the fact that there was really no other venue uh, for him to be able to correct or rectify the situation or bring the attention or bring any st- attention to the situation. I mean, Congress has had many uh, uh, possible uh, opportunities, if you will, to uh, strengthen the Whistleblower Protection Act. And it hasn't really acted. Um, mainly, I think, uh, at least from other uh, members of the Security uh, Council, have have said that uh, um, mainly because the CIA, the FBI, uh, you know, the NSA feel like we're just you know opening up Pandora's box. If we it, we would have so many whistleblowers coming forward, uh, it would be it would be very difficult to contain it. But uh, in a case of Edward Snowden, what else could he have done?
3: Oh, he had plenty of opportunity. We have, uh, he had the, every right to contact either the Senate Intelligence Committee, the House Intelligence Committee. I handled uh, what you would call whistleblower or, or uh, issues that were brought to our attention. I investigated each and every single one of them. I had somebody on my staff that was designated to do that. It was compartmentalized so that the name of the individual was protected. So never took advantage of that, never called, never emailed, never did any of that. Same with the Senate same with the IG. There's an IG, an independent inspector general for the National Security Agency, and there's an independent inspector general for the director of national intelligence, the whole structure of intelligence. He took none of those options, none. Uh, He decided on his own that he believed uh, he would do something good by, again, stealing a lot of material. He had no idea what was in it and walking out the door with it. So Mm -hmm. any notion, and this is, I think, why you have to to prosecute, you can't have an individual who's entrusted by the people of the United States to protect their security with information you have access to, and you wake up one day and decide you just don't like something. You can't make that determination. There's a whole process for making that determination. That's why we have all of these outlets that he did not use. And so I I reject that wholly. I mean, Mm -hmm. had he gone through Mm -hmm. the process and not had uh, anything uh, rectified, well, that might be, I still wouldn't agree with his decision, but he wasn't even close to that. He never, mm-hmm. he never went through that process.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I know that one of the reasons that you left government was to start your own radio program because uh, you recognize just how fast misinformation can travel and how much damage it does and, and how difficult it is to, to rein it back in and correct it. So, so tell us a little bit about what led to your radio program.
3: Well, it was one of the, I love being chairman, it was uh, kind of a funny story, I was actually at a wedding, Uh, long story short, on the way out of the wedding, we we were at the third wheel uh, table, my wife couldn't come, so they kind of cobbled the table together, Uh, of those that fit me, of a friend of mine who happened to be in the radio business in Michigan. And I sat at the table with a guy named Lou Dickey who walked out and said, hey, have you ever thought about radio? Uh, mm-hmm. And I said, you mean like a, like a wedding, you know, disc jockey kind of thing. <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? Um, and he said, no, I'm serious. I think I'm talking about giving you a platform to talk about the things you think are important. Uh, and it just got my wheels turning. I loved what I was doing. I loved the, being the chairman of the committee and trying to work on some really hard, difficult, sensitive issues. Uh, But I felt the time was right. A lot of the other part of Congress sure felt dysfunctional to me. Uh, And so we got our part right. I worked in a bipartisan way on my committee, worked very closely with my Democrat colleague, didn't see a lot of that happening around Congress. I thought maybe going into the 2016 election, just like you said, if national security isn't important, what do we do? I'm trying to make it that way. I'm trying to get people engaged in the conversation about where they want our country to be and U.S. leadership around the world and what foreign policy really means in a strong defense. So I get to do that. Uh, it's called Something to Think About, three commentaries a day uh, in every major market in the country uh, through Westwood One. And uh, I'm having a ball doing it. and It allows me to do a whole host of other activities that I like, including uh, you know, continuing to study policy on national security issues through the Hudson Institute. Uh, and I do some board work, and I'm also a CNN national security contributor. So I've stayed in the space, and now I just have a bigger platform in which to talk about it and try to get people engaged in the importance of it. And at the end of the day, Rebecca, I would love for both parties to come together uh, on what is the common sense, peace through strength, national security position for the United States. This shouldn't be a Republican versus Democrat or Democrat versus Republican. It's too important. We can fight about domestic issues all day long. That's great. But we ought to start coming together on what would put our nation and our citizens at risk. And I worry in this election is starting to pull apart, not come together. And that's what I hope to accomplish.
2: Well, now, uh, rumors have already begun circulating about you as a vice presidential candidate. I'm sure you've heard these Uh, It's my mother
1: again. Is my mother talking to you? Is that where you got that? It is.
2: It is your mom, Uh, I I, I admit, uh, and and she's a big (laughs) fan of yours, uh, but also others. She's she's very powerful, and she's recruited a lot of us. Um, Your experience, obviously, on the Intelligence Committee and also on Energy and Commerce would fill a number of gaps some of the current candidates have. So do you want to comment on that?
3: Well, I love what I'm doing right now. I uh, you know, you never say never in politics, I never say I'd go back in, but uh, I really enjoy what I'm doing. And I do think we're making a difference by kind of bringing a rational discussion back to national security. And if that leads to, you know, something uh, in my future that is political, I will I'll always take a look at it. But right now, I'm very happy with where I'm at.
2: And lastly, uh, before we run out of time, do you have a website where listeners can go to stay current on your activities?
3: They do. It's just MikeRogers.com. How easy is that?
2: That is pretty easy to remember. I'm I'm pretty sure our listeners can remember that, MikeRogers.com. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we've got left today. But before we say goodbye, I do want to take a moment to thank you for your service to our country. Thank you, Mr. Rogers.
3: Rebecca, thank you so much and thanks for being such a solid voice of reason out there. I appreciate that very much.
2: Well, there needs to be more of us. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so welcome to the radio community and uh, we're we're thank so you. grateful to have you on board.
3: Thank you so much.
2: If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Mike Rogers, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And if you miss the full interview with Mr. Rogers or any of our other previous guests, remember you can download episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And while you visit, are visiting our website at RebeccaCosta.com, you'll also find our weekly radio blog posted there. The blog captures the headline news from every one of our interviews. So if you ever have to miss a program, and I hope you won't, You can still find out what our guests had to say by skimming the blog. It's short, it's to the point, and it gives you the news that the mainstream media continues to ignore. So be sure to visit the webpage every week so you never miss a blog and you never miss a program. And it's an opportunity to stay in the know and uh, each of us has a civic responsibility to do just that. Uh, I, you know what? Before I go to my guest next week, I just want to thank Mr. Rogers for taking time to uh, come on the program. I really appreciate the good work that he's doing on talk radio. And I hope you'll take a moment to go to his website and find out when you can hear the segments that he uh, offers up each week uh, on national radio. My guest next week is the Commissioner of the FCC, Mignon Clyburn, who will be here to talk about how the government is protecting equal access to the Internet and how talk radio is going to be affected by new AM regulations. Don't miss FCC Commissioner Mignon Clyburn next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to The Costa
4: Report. Mm -hmm.